Well, I think, you know, we really need to, we just have to start a conversation. I think that's the first thing we have to do within our churches. I mean, not, you know, it, we don't have to run out and, and start a mental health ministry in every church. I think that would be great, but not every church is able to do that, but we can start a conversation. So if you're in leadership at a church or, or you're involved in lay leadership, uh, you know, what about a Sunday school uh, class that looks at a, a mental health topic uh, in relationship to the scriptures? Or what about a sermon series from the pastor? Or what about having a, a mental health care provider come in from the community and do a suicide prevention workshop one weekend? I mean, you just start the conversation where, where it, it, people start to recognize that it's an okay place, a safe place to actually talk about these things. Hi friends, it's Brittany Moses, and you're listening to the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast, the podcast at the intersection of faith, culture, and mental health, where we get to dive into expert insights and the realities of those with lived experience to help us live more insightful, connected, and wholehearted lives. We understand that the views shared here are respectively held by each individual and is not a substitute for professional care or an alternative to seeking personal help from a clinician or provider and is ours to discern. So sit with us. You're listening to episode 57. This podcast episode is brought to you by UHSM HealthShare, a unique healthcare membership on a mission to create holistic wellness for the mind, body, and spirit. I'm honored to partner with UHSM and its community of faithful members. Together, we plan to create more awareness and programs around mental health and the role it plays in our overall balanced health. If you or someone you know is frustrated with their current healthcare, I encourage you to inquire about membership options at www.uhsm.com uhsm.com. Hey friends, so glad you decided to spend your time here with us on the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast today. Today we have a guest favorite and that's Dr. Matthew Stanford and we're talking about how to be a safe and resourceful space for mental health in the church. You may recall we had a conversation with Dr. Matthew Stanford on episode 9 where we talked about having a clinical and biblical perspective of mental health. It's probably one of my favorites, just a foundational uh, conversation and lay of what it looks like to merge the clinical and biblical perspectives when it comes to mental health. But today we're specifically talking about how we can practically create a safer and better equipped space for mental health challenges and diagnoses in the church, right? Like what are some do's and don'ts for how to respond to someone who has disclosed to you that they are struggling with their mental health? What some of the basic signs are that faith leaders should look out for, for someone who is struggling that may be more severe and in need of professional care. And even what to say to those who might feel skeptical of psychology or referring their members to a therapist or psychologist outside of the church, something that's also expounded upon more in episode 45 on how faith and therapy integrate in mental health treatments with Dr. Holly Axhandler. So this was really a resourceful and educational um, conversation and that's what I love so much about what Dr. Stanford brings to the podcast. 
And for those of you who are just hearing about Dr. Stanford for the first time, he is the CEO of the Hope and Healing Center and Institute in Houston, Texas, and an adjunct professor of psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine and Houston Methodist Hospital Institute for Academic Medicine. Dr. Stanford's research on the interplay between psychology and issues of faith have been featured in the New York Times, USA Today, Christianity Today, and US News and World Report. He is awesome, and this is another incredibly insightful conversation that you'll want to hear the whole thing. So without further ado, let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Faith and Mental Wellness Podcast. I am really excited for today's conversation as we're talking about how to be a safe and resourceful space for mental health in the church. And we are having a returning guest and an episode favorite, and that's Dr. Matthew Stanford. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so glad to have you back. Um, I've loved following your work um, and admire what you're doing so much. For those of you who aren't familiar, be sure to check out episode nine, A Clinical and Biblical Perspective of Mental Health, um, where we talk about exactly that. It's actually one of the favorites. Uh, Matthew, people still message me to this day telling me that that was a very impactful conversation for them. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So you have a new book that came out this week, which I'm so excited for. I actually have it in my hand. It's called Madness and Grace, um, and it's a practical guide for pastoral care and serious mental illness. And I think this is just such a phenomenal resource. It's in a language that the everyday person or lay person can understand when it comes to approaching mental health from a holistic perspective and having resources. And so I would love for you to just share a little bit about uh, this resource and what led you to write this? Yeah, you know, um, I mean, as you know, and as probably many of your uh, listeners know, you know, people are more likely, people are struggling with psychological problems or in psychological distress are more likely to go to a clergy before they go to a mental health care provider or a physician. And then we also unfortunately know that a majority of people in the United States with these problems don't receive any care. And even though 90% plus of pastors report that they provide some type of pastoral counseling, less than 10% ever make a referral to a mental health care provider. So we're really missing an opportunity to get people uh, to a mental health care provider since we know where they're going first. And part of the problem uh, with pastors not making referrals is they say that they don't feel adequately trained to recognize mental health care problems or really even how to make that referral. So my thought was instead of writing a book that's, you know, more kind of classically educational and like, you know, what is bipolar disorder? What is ADHD? What are these things? What's the biological basis? How about a practical guide that says, hey, if someone's sitting in front of you, here are some questions you could ask. And if they answer this way, you should find a mental health care provider. And if they answer this way, maybe you don't need to find a mental health care provider or someone sitting in front of you and they tell you about their child. Well, ask these questions and just trying to be very, very practical so that a, that a person, a pastor, anybody involved in pastoral care, be that a layman or a pastor or, or a ministry staff, that they would have in their hands a resource that would just really tell them step by step what they need to do uh, to figure out if this person has a mental health problem and then how to act after that. 
Yeah, that's what I love so much about your book. I feel like anybody can pick this up and it's kind of very understandable to read, even though these are complex topics. Like you mentioned, there are assessment questions, community resources, case examples, and I think it just makes it really practical for you know anyone who's in a care position uh, in their faith community in the church to have an idea of how to approach those who are struggling with their mental health, because that really is one of the biggest hurdles, I think, is just knowing what to say or how to respond when someone is in severe distress. And it's like once you're equipped with these tools and this understanding, then you feel more confident. You feel a little bit more confident about addressing the situation um, and and talking about it. So I think that's excellent. I think we get really hung up on diagnosis mm-hmm. uh, and, right. you know, not, you know, not just in mental health circles of, of providers, but I think this, the general population, because, you know, unfortunately the general population knows just enough about mental health to be dangerous. And, you know, and so, uh, you know, you know, the term bipolar, or you know, the term depression and, and you might have a vague sense, of, and, but it's not necessary to diagnose a person. Uh, with uh, a, a particular mental disorder to know that they're struggling with a mental health problem. It, as you mentioned, it's all about the level of distress. Uh, and and that's bringing in, helps you know to bring in a mental health care provider. And frankly, I actually know clinics uh, that provide care that they don't worry about diagnosis. They just focus on symptomatology. They focus on the level of distress the person's dealing with. Uh, they don't tie their treatments to a particular diagnosis per se. Uh, And and that can be very effective. So I think we just need to throw diagnosis out the window right now when we're talking about laymen, you know, pastors and and lay ministers that are trying to just figure out how to help somebody and just say, is this person struggling at a level that a mental health care provider might be helpful in this team that we're building around this person to help them move forward? Yeah, just kind of simplifying it enough for the everyday person. And that's also something that I really um, admire about the work that you're doing and those who are able to take this research that can be like who have studied and trained in the research world and academia, um, stuff that is usually hard for the everyday person, or even if you're studying it to decode through and read through um, and making it accessible for the public and for the everyday person, because these are the people that um, we're doing life with, you know? Um, And so that being said, what would you say are some common myths or stigmas that you think should be dispelled right now for people in ministry and the church when it comes to mental health diagnoses? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot. I think that, you know, from the from from a general perspective, I mean, just out in the general uh, population, but also certainly into the church as well, is this idea that, um, you know, mental illnesses are really just, you know, people are just not thinking the right way. They just kind of need to get it together. You know, if you're just don't be sad, you know, just stop worrying, you know, those kinds of things when they don't, people don't really realize the severity of right. these illnesses. It's just not something someone can just think their way out of all by themselves. Uh, you know, I've never met anyone that was depressed that didn't want, you know, that wanted to be depressed. I mean, they right. desperately don't want to be that way. I think within the church, you know, there's a, there's kind of an, and we've talked about this before, kind of a ugly kind of spiritual stigma, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that somehow these, these disorders or these problems are, are more spiritually oriented than say someone has cancer or diabetes or something like that. And the reality is, I mean, you have a brain in your head, we all do, 
-hmm. and it's an organ and it cannot function correctly. And that's the organ that helps us to think and an organ that helps us to, you know, remember things. And then, you know, and so when that's impaired, it, those things are affected, our moods, our feelings. So, uh, you know, we have to recognize that all, all physical illnesses, be they what we call mental illnesses or physical problems like cancer or or they all affect us at a different le at all levels, spiritual and physical. You know, we don't want to make these more spiritual than than other things. And so, you know, the, there's certainly a spiritual aspect, and we need to be you know, involved in that. Mm -hmm. But you would do the same thing for someone who had cancer. We don't want to treat them differently. So I think those are, you know, two big ones right there. Is that yeah. these are serious conditions that you know they really debilitate people and really disrupt families. Uh, really significantly. And then, you know, there's there no more or less spiritual than any other kind of illness. You know, a purely spiritual intervention uh, is only going to be as effective with mental illness as a purely spiritual intervention might be with cancer. Right. Uh, it's not to say that you wouldn't pray for healing. Uh, but, you know, I, I've, you know, only in the most extreme sects of Christianity would a person also not go to an oncologist when they were praying for healing. Uh, and as God wills, he may choose to heal you through that oncologist, you know, and so I think those are really the two big ones that I would point out. Yeah, I always love how clearly you just lay that out, um, because you're right, when it comes to mental health, for some reason, the lines get really blurred. Um, and I think people aren't making the connection, uh, you know, with, you know, neurochemicals, your brain, brain structure, hormones, all of these things that drive your mood and behavior. Um, and so making that connection is so important. And even just considering like the theology of illness that we've developed over the years, you know, and, you know, how much we illness is being equated to like spiritual sin and things of that nature that get into mental health that um, can be really harmful and toxic. And I'm of the belief that, you know, just because something is circulated this way for so long, it doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And hopefully as we know more, um, we can be more helpful with a comprehensive understanding. Absolutely. I think, you know, you have to understand that, you know, then this is no, this is no insult of the scriptures. I consider right. it an errant, uh, you know, inspired word of God, but you know, the Hebrews, they, they have no word in the Bible for brain. There is no word. The brain is never mentioned. I mean, virtually every other organ is mentioned, uh, but uh, it's never—it's not mentioned. It was—it was considered a meaningless organ. I mean, Aristotle thought it was a, a heater that you know that took heat off the top of your out of your body. It didn't—it had no other purpose than that. Right. And the word is basically comes from a word for fat, you know, because they didn't think it, it did anything. So, you know, I think we have to be really careful when we we take the Bible and we try to make it a science book. Right. Says, oh, well, here I understand depression because it says right here you should be joyful. You know, I mean, you know, let's let's not, you know, I, I, I've ever rarely ever seen anyone try to do that with cancer or these other things. And so let's let's be careful with that. I think we can be a little bit smarter as as Christians. Absolutely. And it is definitely biblical to use um, common sense wisdom that is of God. <laughs> Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Hey guys, we're going to get right back to the conversation because trust me, I know you'll want to hear the whole thing. But I quickly wanted to share with you this exciting new partnership I have with BetterHelp. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P. 
One of the questions I get asked a lot are how you can go about starting therapy. A number of you are located around the country and even around the world. And as helpful as I often like to be, sometimes I find myself limited in being able to provide the one-on-one -on -one resources that you need. Well, I'm happy to say that one option I can share with you today is BetterHelp's online therapy and counseling services with licensed mental health professionals. Since I know a lot of you guys want more faith-based counseling as well, I'm even more excited to share that they also have another service called Faithful Counseling, which has licensed Christian therapists and counselors who are certified by their state, where you can receive licensed counseling using your computer, tablet, or mobile phone through video calls, phone calls, or text messaging. So I use BetterHelp Therapy. I've been using it myself, and it's been super convenient, you know, between school, work, and really just having someone to check in with on a regular basis has been so important for my own mental health. So what happens is when you sign up, you'd be matched with a counselor in 24 hours or less, and you can securely message your counselor anytime, any day, you know, day or night, and get replies within 24 to 48 hours. BetterHelp also has group in our sessions every week where you can learn in groups directly from licensed counselors on multiple topics like relationships and ways to overcome anxiety. Uh, I also found out that financial aid is available for those who qualify and you can apply for financial aid during the sign up process. Hello. Additionally, listeners of the Faith and Mental Wellness podcast like you get 10% off of their first month using my specific link in the show notes below. And like I said, I know a number of you are around the world. BetterHelp is available worldwide. And if you want to get started and get matched with a counselor within the next 24 hours, I have links to both BetterHelp and Faithful Counseling in the show notes. I should mention that it is not a crisis line, okay? If you are experiencing a crisis, I have a link to all the crisis lines by country in the show notes as well. Check it out and let me know what you think. Okay, let's get back to the conversation. So now how can we practically create a safer and better equipped space for mental health challenges and diagnoses in the church, do you think? Well, I think, you know, we really need to, we just have to start a conversation. I think that's the first thing we have to do within our churches. I mean, right. not, you know, it, we don't have to run out and, and start a mental health ministry in every church. I think that would be great, but not every church is able to do that, but right. we can start a conversation. So if you're in leadership at a church or, or you're involved in lay leadership, uh, you know, what about a Sunday school uh, class that looks at a, a mental health topic uh, in relationship to the scriptures? Or what about a sermon series from the pastor? Or what about having a, a mental health care provider come in from the community and do a suicide prevention workshop mm -hmm. one weekend? I mean, you just start the conversation where, where it, it, people start to recognize that it's an okay place, a safe place to actually talk about these things. And, and, and let that conversation begin to build. I mean, you know, adding in things like if you have a church where you call people down for prayer at the end of the service, say mental health issues out loud. Say, hey, if, you know, if you're struggling with a physical problem, uh, we'd love to pray for you. If you're struggling with a mental health problem like depression or anxiety or whatever, come forward. We'd love to pray for you. I mean, just saying these things out, out loud can be very transformative for a congregation. Uh, because there are people in that congregation that are struggling with these problems and they've never told anyone. Guaranteed. Uh, yeah. You know, they're not sure that it's safe. Uh, but starting the conversation 
uh, will allow that. And then, you know, again, simple things like, you know, vet some providers in your area and the ones that you feel comfortable with that you would refer to, put their materials in your, your front office of your church, you know, uh, um, put a, a referral list together that your clergy mm. used to refer people. Just little simple things that cost no money. I mean, little simple things. And, and just begin to build from that because once you start the conversation, people will kind of step out and, and kind of say something to make sure it's safe. And if they see that that conversation has some momentum, uh, then you really can start to minister to people with these issues. Right. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I actually do want to come back to the idea of pastors uh, resourcing outside to mental health professionals. But I, I do want to ask, you know, maybe for the lay person or for the, you know, faith leader, the pastor, um, what maybe are some do's and don'ts for how to respond to someone who is disclosed to you that they're struggling with mental health? Um, like, probably want to not say this, or here's some helpful things to respond to, but also with leaders as well, because I think there are also leaders in the church, whether they are worship pastors or, you know, youth pastors or volunteers or what have you, that are kind of afraid or feel shameful or less qualified if they come out and say that they're struggling with mental health challenges whilst they're leading or helping others like maybe what are some helpful things do's and don'ts in approaching when someone has disclosed this to you yeah i think number one uh you know somebody discloses that uh, because of the stigma that exists i mean that's a very um kind of scary thing for them. And I think that you need to make sure that you hold that in confidence. That's not something that, you know, if somebody came and told me they had diabetes, I probably would hold that in confidence. But if I told a a mutual friend of ours that I found out so-and-so had diabetes, you know, we both should be praying for him or helping him. He probably wouldn't be overly upset by that because there's no stigma there. But I think we need to make sure we hold that in confidence. And unfortunately, churches a lot of times aren't real good with the whole confidence thing. Yeah. Uh, And then, you know, secondly, uh, kind of back to that, uh, one of those original things that I talked about, we need to not minimize the seriousness of what this person's just told us of what they're struggling with, Mm -hmm. just because we think that, you know, bipolar disorder is just, you have extreme moods, but you know, you just need to stop that kind of a thing. So we need to, we need to hold back our, regardless of what we believe, regardless of what we think, we need to hold back our own kind of personal kind of judgment and labeling and recognize that that person just shares something with us was probably very difficult for them to share. And it's causing them significant distress, uh, this illness. Uh, and, and we need to be more of a kind of a, an accepting and a grace-filled individual, not a judge. And then after we've done that, we need to not try to fix them. Okay. We need to not yeah. say, oh, you know, like a pastor once said to me, yeah, I've worked with lots of women with depression. I just go through the, through the Psalms with them and they all, their depression goes away. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think the Psalms are great. I think everybody should read the Psalms and Hey, the Psalms may be very encouraging for you if you have depression, but I don't know that any of the women that he worked with really had depression. Um, and I don't, find in my own experience that someone just reading the Psalms is enough for a person with major depressive disorder. So, so let's be careful about how we do that. If we, if we, if we think a person 
you know, if we want to want to pray with them or we want to uh, encourage a certain kind of, you know, scripture reading or whatever, if that's important to us to, to tell them that because we want to encourage them, do it in an encouraging way, do it in an accepting way. You know, instead of saying, hey, you know, why don't you just read through the Psalms? Say, so, you know, what I personally have found helpful for me when I'm down and I know that I don't have the same experience that you have is going through the Psalms. Maybe we could meet every week and, and kind of go through those together. I mean, that's a whole different kind of presentation. Right. You just need to go and, you know, and then I think fourth, ask them if they're getting mental health care. I mean, ask them if they're seeing a provider. Uh, and if they're not, uh, do what you can to help them get to a provider. Yeah, those are really, really great. And something that you said that I really want to bring out because I've seen this a lot and I made this mistake in the past is where you assume where someone is based off of your range of experience with mental health or your range of experience with anxiety or sadness, what have you. And it might be very different than someone else's. So it's like what may have worked for you may not work at the same level for the next person for a variety of reasons that make us different as human beings. Um, and so I think that's really important because I've, I've seen that before where it's like, you know, someone may not understand why someone takes medication because for them, you know, just, you know, I don't know, prayer or reading scripture or taking a walk or whatever it is, help them with their anxiety, <laughs> you know, and, and it's like, okay, that may have worked for you, but someone else may be experiencing something more severe that requires more help. So I really love that you said that and brought that out, just not assuming where someone is or what's going to help them based off of where your range is or what your range of experiences and what's helped you and being open to that is really great. Um, so that being said, something that you really go into in your book are some kind of a basic assessment questions that like anyone can kind of ask to probe where someone is. And so what are some of the basic signs faith leaders should look out for for someone who's struggling maybe more severe and in need of professional care than they may realize? Like, what are um, maybe some examples of some signs they should look out for and some questions they maybe should be asking? You know, and I think that, you know, you say that in a good way that people are on a continuum, you know, I mean, some people that are struggling, and we're just, we're talking about right now about people that are, so they're on one end of the continuum, people aren't struggling, they're doing well. And then people are struggling, uh, you know, from the middle on. And so uh, at some level, some people may just need pastoral care. They just may need pastoral counseling. They may need just a support group or a, a lay counselor. So so there's, you know, just because a person sitting in front of you and they're struggling doesn't mean necessarily they need a professional care. Uh, but there is a line, you know, the, what we like to call a line of disorder, you know, when you cross over that line. So really the line of disorder is well um, delineated by the idea of being dysfunctional. A, a person is not able to function normally or successfully in all the spheres of their life. So if you think about work, school, relationships, uh, thing, or maybe if it's a child at school and relationships and extracurricular issues, they're not able to do what they normally have done or want to do normally, you know, mm -hmm. at, at the normal, at the level they can. So that's really the, one of the first things you want to do is you want to ask the person, how is this problem that you've come to me about? Maybe they come because they've lost another job or they're 
you know, in conflict with their spouse again. How is that affecting you in, you know, across your life? Is that affecting you on your job? Is that affecting you uh, at school? Is that affecting you in your other relationships? And then have them explain that to you. So if you find that a person is, you know, dysfunctional in one of those spheres, that's a pretty good sign in its own right to suggest that they have a level of distress that would be, they would benefit by seeing a professional. Another thing that I do in the book is I, I provide you with a set of, of questions you might ask I me. Mean, one of the things people have to understand is that, you know, we don't, you know, decide someone has a mental uh, health problem based on the fact that they had one bad day. Right. You know, I mean, you know we all have bad days and sometimes mm -hmm. we have really bad days yeah. where you go home and you crawl into bed and you're like, I don't know, I'm not doing that again, you know? And so, uh, but, you know, mental health problems, mental illnesses, they have a they have a, a, a chronicity to them. They have a, a, a length of time. So typically, we look at uh, you know some of them are two weeks, some of them are a month. So usually, we think about a month. You know, so think about a month. So when you're asking someone if they say, you know, I've really I'm really sad. You know, uh, well everyone's sad at some point. Say, well, how long have you been as sad as you are right now? Uh, you know, and so I have a set of questions like, and then we talk about it in the context of hopelessness. It's one thing to be sad. It's a whole different thing to be hopeless. Right. You know, it's a, it's a, a one thing to be sad. It's a whole nother thing to feel like you're worthless or to be so sad that nothing can cheer you up. So there's a set of items in there where you ask the person in the context of a conversation to just tell you how long these kind of things have been going on. Uh, or if they're going on, and you get a real sense of, you know, kind of this is something that's chronic, that's really been going on for a long period of time, uh, and that it doesn't seem to be changing. So if you put those kind of questions along with this idea of, of, of function, mm -hmm. uh, it's actually not difficult at all. You can, within the span of just a few minutes talking with a person, you can determine very quickly whether they need a level of distress in which they would be benefited by a mental health care provider. I, I think when pastors say, I don't feel qualified to recognize mental health issues in my congregants or in those that I counsel, you know, when we dig down into that data with the pastors, what they really mean is they don't feel qualified to diagnose people. Right. So I can't differentiate depression from bipolar disorder from whatever. Well, you know what? Why should you be able to do that? That mm -hmm. requires that requires a lot of training, and even those of us who are trained sometimes disagree because there's a lot of overlap between those those diagnoses. So, right, you know, let's not worry about that. Let's let's worry about is it affecting their function, and is there a a, a kind of a chronic aspect to it as opposed to acute, and what is the depth of the distress? Is it is it more than the average person would be dealing with given the circumstances the person is in? I think that's a really great way to summarize it. So it's functionality, how chronic it is, how long lasting and depth. I think those are just three really great standards to, to simply start by enough to say, okay, maybe there's something more here that may be out of my scope of expertise and that's okay. Um, and that being said, you know, what is, you know, what is someone in a medical or clinical position going to do for someone's mental health that would differ from, say, support from others at their church or pastoral care? Because I think sometimes people don't 
really understand the difference, you know, and it's like, you know, why go to this clinician or a therapist or what have you when I have pastoral care or I have the support at my church? Like, what are they going to do differently? You know, I normally, when I think about, you know, treatment for a person that has a mental health problem, I, I kind of think about a three-legged stool. And so I think about they need support, they need, they probably need medication, and they need some kind of psychotherapeutic or a talking therapy intervention. And so, so we're talking, the example here, we're talking about somebody who has a, a mental illness. Okay, so they're going to, you know, that three-legged stool falls over if you pull one of those out. So if I have a client and, you know, he or she has no support, they have no, you know, family or friends or a faith community that can support them, uh, the likelihood of them getting better is very low because I'm going to only see them very intermittently. Uh, and they may take their medicine, but, you know, they're, they don't have anybody to really help them in those difficult times. Uh, and so, you know, support's tremendously important. And so the faith community is providing a, a healing community, a place where a person can get, uh, you know, support and, and care, uh, both from a spiritual perspective and just from a relational perspective. But, but again, in the context of when, when you get that relational support within a spiritual context, you also get, uh, you know, the, the, the sense of a hope that transcends circumstances, something you don't get just from the world. You get Jesus, you get this, uh, this explanation of how God is present with you in your suffering and is going to be there to walk along with you and, right. and, and you know, provide for you. And so, so there's a, there's a hope that is, is unique in that circumstance. And then when they go to the provider, uh, the provider, you know, a psychiatrist, an MD psychiatrist or DO psychiatrist is going to prescribe medication. That's what the, they do. They don't do talking therapy anymore. They're prescribed medication to, uh, to change the neurochemical function in the brain, uh, to normalize or, or minimize the symptoms that they're having. Mm -hmm. And then a, a psychologist or a counselor or therapist, depending on uh, how the person describes himself, uh, is a person that's going to treat their illness through a talking therapy or a psychotherapy. And, you know, that's not just, you know, it's different than counseling. Counseling is guidance and advice. Therapy is a targeted treatment uh, to minimize symptoms and to build uh, skills and tools uh, to keep an individual from experiencing something, certain symptoms. Counseling is at a, at a lower level than that. Not to say it's not important. It's just right. a problem. And so right. that's going to be the difference there. And you can see how they all really go, go together because if the person's getting proper mental health treatment, they need the support because that's what they're dealing with on a daily basis. Someone walking along with them, uh, you know, it's, you know, recovery in a mental health sense is a, is a process. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a process of change, you know, where the individual gets better and improves over time. And that's very, that's very much something that we talk about in our faith. We talk about sanctification as a very progressive transformation of ourselves throughout our lifetime, more into the image of Christ. And so, you know, a faith community is a perfect place for someone to recover mm -hmm because we expect people to change and we expect to walk along with them during the good times and the bad times. So there's, there's no, I don't see any kind of lower class aspect to what the faith community offers. I think it's a vital part, yeah. but I think that, you know, much like with a, what we think of say cancer or diabetes or physical illness like that, you know, some kind of medical intervention is necessary or we won't be able to move forward. 
Yeah, something that I love that we talk about is how these are all tools and a tool belt, so to speak. And, you know, I know for me personally, my own healing journeys, when I was just recovering from things and mental health challenges, it was always having all of those things at work, you know, in my life that really, I want to say, like, almost sped up my recovery, you know, is having that so that social support, which we know is super helpful for mental health. And, you know, with therapy, you know, people also realizing that a lot of these um, methods of therapy are evidence-based. Like you said, it's very goal-oriented and you should be able to see some relief, you know, after a while. Absolutely. Um, I tell, you know, I tell my clients all the time, you know, that come here and we refer them to people as, you know, if you, if you, if you met, if your psychiatrist starts you on medication, you should begin to see some improvement yeah. or some positive change within a month. Okay. And if you, if you don't, then your psychiatrist will probably be changing things for a psychotherapeutic intervention of talking therapy. You, you know, it can happen as, you know, really as quickly as a few months or even, uh, but I, I would say if in six months, you know, I say three to six months, usually if three to six months, you're not seeing some positive improvement, then you may need to have a different mental health care provider, mm -hmm. uh, but you should expect improvement and you should expect it within the span of months. Yeah. And that's, and that's what's different from say talking to your friends or, you know, talking to some members at church or just some care, all that's important. Um, it's not exclusive to one another, but having those real solutions and having that practical side of the healing. Um, I'm just like, you know, that is all a gift from God, anything a resource he's given you to have a holistic healing in your life um, and to take advantage of that. So definitely love clarifying those it's not either or it's it's definitely both and and that being said you know we we've talked a little bit about what that you can expect right that's different um from these different areas of life but what might, what might you say to those who feel skeptical of psychology or referring their members to a therapist or psychologist outside of their church um i just know that sometimes that can be a gray area for some people. They are a little skeptical about the philosophy of psychology or that a therapist is going to, I don't know, get them into something new agey or um, in there, they feel really protective, you know? Right. So do, do you have any encouragement or insight for someone who might feel skeptical? I, on Twitter, I had someone say to me, you know, Jesus is the only mighty, wonderful counselor that you need, you know, um, that kind of see this really black and white. Right. And, you know, and I think there you can break those groups down into, you know, a few different kind of categories. I mean, right. You have people that are concerned about sending someone to a therapist um, because they um, are concerned from a spiritual perspective that that person, you know, like one I get a lot is, well, if I send this couple to this therapist, they might, the he might tell them to get a divorce. And I don't agree with that, you know? And right, so, right. Um, so there's that aspect. Uh, another concern within that same group would be that the therapist would undermine their faith, say, oh, there's no such thing as faith. And, you know, so that, that's another aspect of it. And, and, and so that's one group where they're concerned that, that they're, they're going to go contrary to the faith and destroy these people's faith. Uh, then, there's a, then there's another group of people 
within that group and within the larger group there that, that are concerned about referring that just see it as a spiritual issue, like this person who tweeted to you this response, is that all you need is Jesus. And if you've got Jesus, everything's going to be fine. And the, the reality is, is that, you know, that isn't true. Okay. I mean, you, 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 all you need is Jesus from a, from a spiritual perspective. All you need is Jesus in the context of a relationship with God. All you need is Jesus to be, you know, to be reconciled uh, to the father. But if I have cancer, I'm going to absolutely be praying to Jesus for healing and I'm going to be praying to right. Jesus for comfort and provision. And I'm going to be trying to find the best oncologist I possibly can. And so will the person that sent you that tweet or that response to your tweet, because you rarely come across somebody who says that, you know, you know, it also says Jesus is the great physician. You know, he, I'm the great physician. Right. So do you don't go to a doctor? There are subsets of Christians that don't because of that. Okay. But so, you know, there, there's that group also. And so uh, I think that, and then, and then even a little bit within that, that group, there are people who would say, well, there's no such thing. I have had a pastor say this to me more times than I could count. There's no such thing as chemical imbalances. That's never been demonstrated. And I, I have kind of a flippant response that I think you will find particularly funny because <laughs> what you're doing right now, I usually say, you know, I wish that you had told me that before I spent all those years in graduate school getting a PhD in neuroscience, <laughs> because it was pretty difficult, you know, and I had to read a lot and it sure yeah, didn't seem like yeah. there were a lot of uh, chemical imbalances. But if I had just known that beforehand, sure. I, I wouldn't have saved, gone through all of that school. Exactly. I could have saved all that time. You <laughs> know, I'll and just so, drop out now. I'll just, good note. <laughs> and, and I think really both those two groups are uh, the second group where the basically they just deny the existence of mental health problems or just spiritual. There, there's little I can say to that per, these people to convince them uh, that it's okay to refer. Because they, it's a, it's an ideological issue. It's a theological issue for them. The first group where they're concerned about the faith of those people, I'm, I'm on board with you. I'm there. Okay, but I can tell you how to fix that, and that's why, why here at the Hope and Healing Center, we don't refer to any therapist, psychiatrist, uh, institution unless we know them and we have vetted them. Okay, so you need to vet the people that you're going to refer to. And I mean, you need to go out and you need to meet them and need to talk to them and you need to build a relationship with them. You need to see their facility. You need to get information about how these people are going to pay them. And I mean, all this kind of stuff. And you need to ask them if you're concerned about that. How do they deal with a highly religious client? What would they do if a client Mm -hmm. asked them if they could pray during, you know, for me, I, I, you know, I think there's, you know, there's already not enough mental health care providers in the United States, period. Right. If you narrow that down to just ones who promote themselves as integrating faith into what they do, you have almost none left. Uh, and so what I look for is not necessarily a place where somebody, you know, integrates faith into their care, but I look for a place that what I would describe as faith affirming. Meaning yeah. that if I send a person there and that person starts talking about their faith, that provider is going to do nothing but affirm their faith, say that that's an incredible strength and benefit to them and, and that it should be part of their recovery. Yeah. And, uh, and all of the people on our list are like that. And so you need to vet them. I tell pastors all the time, don't send 
your congregants to someone you've never met. Cause if you do, you kind of get what you get. Right. And, uh, uh, there are good providers and there's bad providers. It's just like there's good mechanics. I mean, that's the funniest thing. I mean, people will go out of their way to get a referral to a mechanic or a dentist, but they'll just look up a mental health care provider on, on Google and just, you know, I don't yeah. know. Why. Again, I think it's kind of a, a misunderstanding of how serious these problems are. So, yeah. so vet the people and you won't be concerned and then also work with them collaboratively, have a mm -hmm. relationship with them where information release of information forms are signed and you can talk with them about these individuals. So you're working with them from a pastoral counseling perspective and they're working with them from a psychological or psychiatric perspective. And now you're working as a team together to help this person get moved forward. Yeah, and that's such a beautiful thing. And on that note, I do want to encourage people to check out episode 45 with Dr. Holly Oxhandler, who is also over at Baylor. Um, and she we talked about how faith and therapy integrate in mental health treatments and just kind of the priority of that being, you know, ethical and like you said, affirming um, in all of that. So we dive more into that topic there, but this summarized that so well. So thank you for sharing that. Um, and I guess wrapping up, my question is, what are you hoping to be some of the biggest takeaways from this guidebook um, for pat pastoral care and serious mental illness? Well, I just, you know, I, I mean, always our hope, you know, I think the hope of anybody that's a mental health advocate and out there is that more people will get to care. Um, and so, you know, my hope is that, you know, the pastor or the lay counselor or the ministry leader uh, or even just the congregant in the in the pew uh, will have will have the, the tools necessary to say, hey, you know, you really seem like you're struggling with something that's well beyond what that you can do deal with yourself or that yeah. I can help you with. And and I also now know how I can help you get to some care. Yeah, uh, and so, you know, maybe you know, the hope would be that more people would, that are struggling would get to care. And also the hope, you know, as always is my hope, and that's why I do what I do, is that the church would step forward and really lead, since we know that people go to clergy mm -hmm. before they go. I mean, you're never going to see a greater divine opportunity right. than, you know, believers and non-believers, people associated with churches and not associated churches, they go to churches first. Uh, unfortunately, what the data shows is that they don't get the assistance that they are looking for uh, and or that they may not even know they need, and then they yeah. drift away. But it's a great opportunity to, to serve people, and it's a great opportunity to share Jesus with people and then draw them into the fellowship where they will be supported and cared and loved for and loved the rest of their lives. Yeah, and healed holistically. And I just want to raise my hand as a witness to that. I went to the church first when I was struggling. And I feel like that was kind of my first step into some healing that gave me, I don't know, some motivation to start healing in other areas. And so I think it's, I always tell people like, just take the first step somewhere, <laughs> you know, and it, it's great if you can go to church and then on top of that, they've interwoven these resources that are practical um, and holistically healing. So thank you so much for joining us again. We are going to link the book Madness and Grace by Dr. Matthew Stanford in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. Uh, and thank you so much for your time. 
Thanks for having me. I always love it. Thanks, guys. Until next time.